Thanks for tuning in to this message from Greenhouse Church. We're continuing our series called Breaking Bread. Listen now as Pastor Mike continues this teaching on relationships. I was reminded this week of the little boy that was in a play. He was going to get up and speak like this. I was just talking to my mom before uh, coming up to preach now. And the boy had to get up and speak in front of some people. He was in a play. He only had one line. His line was, I am the light of the world. But he couldn't remember the line. And he was getting ready to get up there. His mother was off stage trying to cheer him on and do his thing. And, and the play stopped and hit a halt because he forgot his one and only line. Finally, he looks at his mother, just, you know, devastated. His mother looks at me. She says, it's okay, calm down. Just say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He turns back to the crowd from his mom. He says, my mom is the light of the world. My mom is the light of the world. Thank you, moms, for the light that you have brought us. Today, though, I am interested in bringing to you a story from 2 Samuel chapter 21 that is just interesting. It's a very interesting story about a very interesting mother. 2 Samuel 21, starting in verse 1, says, During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It's because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make atonement so that you may bless the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites answered, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you, David asked. They answered the king, as for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. And the king said, I will give them to you. Let's skip all the way down to verse 10. Rizpah took sackcloth and spread it for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest until the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told what Rispa Saul's concubine had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had stolen the bodies from the public square where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down at Geboah. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zelah in Benjamin and did everything that the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. The famine was over. I want to talk about the mother heart of God today from a very interesting mother in Scripture. The mother heart of God, the power of the mother heart of God. Let's pray. God, help in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. I cannot imagine what it would be like for a mother to have to watch her sons dragged off to be executed. I don't think I can imagine what the, 
the pain or the grief or the fear or the anger or the rage or all of the above that would go through the heart of a mother. This is Rispa. She's the concubine of Saul. A concubine was almost a wife. Sort of like an official girlfriend on the side of sorts. Not the full, this is not a queen. This is not really royalty. This is this concubine. Rispa is her name. The name Rispa in Hebrew, it means pavement, the kind of stuff you walk on. I can only imagine the pain of a mother as she watches her sons, her two sons, and just to paint the picture, even though she was a concubine, she was the concubine of the king. The king has now been exposed as an evil man, Saul was. God has replaced him with a good king, a man after God's own heart, King David. Saul is now, he, he's on the outs, and his, his family is now being shamed as not only is he no longer the king, but when they've tried to figure out the source of a famine in the land, God has made clear Saul has brought a curse on this land, and these are some of the offspring of that man. The, the shame and the, and the pain in her heart as, as seven people, not just killed, but exposed publicly, because the point of a hanging and a public hanging at that was not just to bring an execution. This was nothing to do with someone that has committed a crime, and you're trying to now go and inhibit more criminals from doing more crimes. When someone has done evil, of course you lock them up because the thief no longer can steal when now he's in jail. But these are people that are really being killed, and, and, and just to give you the context here, that and again, what, what preachers do is what's called exegesis. It means before you could talk about what does this passage mean right now, it's what did it mean then and there to them. And this was back then and there. This was a shame culture. This was a, this was a shame and honor culture. It was a culture where your dream in life, no matter how well you lived, was to get a proper burial. Your dream was to get the, the best burial you can imagine. It was, what kind of a grave are you going to end up in? Where are you going to be? And the worst of these would be to be ending your life with something like this, as the birds of the air will eat your flesh, and the beasts of the field will take your bones, and those that are judged by where they're buried. In fact, if you went to Israel, the Middle East right now, holy ground is where you go and bury people because there is nothing more honorable. Nothing speaks to the person more than how and where they were buried and with whom they were buried. And here are two guys that are, are now being condemned to be out in the elements, publicly exposed, publicly shamed, and for the, st the story of their life to end. Surely Rispa, when she nursed these boys in her bosom when they were just little babies. This was not the dream she had. I mean, I know a lot of you guys dream of your children going to college. You, you dreamt of, of what someone's life would be known for, and this is how her boys' lives are now gonna end. It's a painful thought. It's the, 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 the smell of the, of the elements and the, and the sounds of the crowd and, and, the, and the anger and the wrath of the Gibeonites being unleashed on her two sons among the five others. Just the, the pain that would be in her as they finally drop down and die publicly exposed and shamed and humiliated and disgraced for everybody to see. But Rispa doesn't leave it there. Because she looks at the shame that's happening and she takes out sackcloth and she says, as she puts this over a, a rock and she begins for from the beginning of the, what would be the harvest, for five straight months, 
She beats off the birds of the air and she beats off the beasts of the field and says, this will not be the way my son's lives end. This will not be the end of their story. Their story will not be defined by shame. It's interesting because we're living in a moment of shame right now. I think shame, I've, in my lifetime, I have never seen shame as ubiquitous as it is now. I've never, I've never seen shame surging like shame is now surging. I got raised by a mom that, was, that dabbled in, in psychology, and I remember at a very young age, she'd say, shame is the name of the game when your name is the devil. <laughs> because he loves to play the, the card of shame. It's, it's changing us, this shame thing. It's, cha- it's poisoning our marriages, and it's putting toxin in our parenting, and it's, it's distorting our leadership. It's, it's changing the way that we think about things. Shame is a very interesting thing. It, it's gotten into our politics, our successes, and our failures. It's ending friendships, starting wars, creating injustice. It keeps us from fighting injustice. It's infecting and infesting our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, even our very memories, the neurobiology, the neurophysiology of this is that literally when shame enters in, your, your very memories shift. Shame will cause you to tell stories in a way that you selectively remember some things and forget other things. Shame removes grace, which is why a synonym for shame might be disgrace. The importance of this is that grace, it, it integrates you. It, it, it's, this is the, the relationship series that we're doing right now called Breaking Bread, that, that we are wired, that we thrive when we're together. We're healthy when we're together. We, we grow when we're together. Children learn when they're connected. We humans, we, we get over things better when, when we're connected. We, we've got more resolve when we're connected. And when we're not connected, we, we, we don't. There's a disintegration. So, so the Bible, the, it's so interesting how neurobiology right now is going to confirm things that the Scripture has said for thousands of years. The Bible says that God wants all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. Uh, biologists now would tell you that, that, that you and I, that we are these whole beings, that we have a conscious, we, we, we have an awareness, we have like a vertical part of our brain, a horizontal part of our brain. There's the brain stem, like the primal things, the different parts of the brain that do these different things that, that we tend to believe sometimes that we can split up ourselves. The reality is when you do split yourself up and get disintegrated, it creates Chaos. What I mean by that is when, when your mind, and we already know this is the case because sometimes you'll be thinking certain thoughts, but just like you've got a, conscient, a conscious and a subconscious, there are times when you're thinking thoughts and, and you wish you could stop thinking about something, but you cannot, and so you cannot sleep. So I might want to believe that my body, my physical body is separate from my mind or my heart or my soul, but in reality, when my soul is anxious, I do not sleep. Your body and your soul are connected whether you want them to be or not. The, 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 your brainstem, the, the primitive functions of your, the parts of your brain that, that do just like basic you know, things, the parts of your brain that hit fight or flight, the, the, the different, all the different parts of you that do these different functions and, and the, the, the storytelling part, the curiosity part of you, the sense-making part, all these different parts. Some would say that there's like nine different parts or functions or, of you of whatever that is. When they are disintegrated, you are... You're a walking bundle of chaos. 
And when you get integrated, when there is integrity, when you are an integer, when you come together, when, when you're able to love with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength, you come together and there's health and there's wholeness and there's, there's a vitality. It doesn't mean you don't get hurt. It means you get over it when you get hurt. It doesn't mean you don't get offended. It means, you know what, there's enough of you. You're not so disintegrated that you don't know what to do because you're able to, breaking bread, you're able to break bread, to connect, to be with people. To, to, but when, when shame enters in, there's there's a unique thing that shame does. It disintegrates us and specifically causes us not to draw near to people, but to push away from people. Shame removes you from the one place where you thrive. Shame is the name of the game. And shame is surging in the culture that we live in. And shame is killing us as people are being canceled left and right. And shame is, is it, it, it is humiliation. It is indignity. But it's that feeling that I am not enough, that something's wrong with me. It's, it's the CEO or the manager that feels like he should know all the answers. And so when he hits a snag, he doesn't reach out for help because he should, have, he should know exactly what to do all by himself. That's shame. It's, it's the mother whose daughter is doing what she doesn't want her doing and wishes she would do differently. And the daughter is, uh, she's not performing right. It's that mother that has wrapped up her identity in the performance of her daughter. And I'm sorry, but your daughter is not you. And your daughter, you, your daughter, when, when you have all that, when your shame is projected on her, she's going to distance herself from it. You're going to distance yourself from her. There's going to be an interpersonal problem that comes into that relationship. And that shame kills mothers and daughters. Shame is like the pastor I was reading about on the internet recently that had a secret sin that nobody knew about. He was addicted to Jack Daniels, and he could not get rid of the alcohol, and a pastor should not struggle with alcohol, and a pastor should not have an addiction, and, and he had a very successful church that had grown significantly, and what would everybody think if people were to find out, and he's going to be canceled. We've all heard about all, all the things and all the whatever, and he'll just, he's another, he's, a, he's, an, he's another statistic in the long trail of, of pastors that have done these bad things, and so he went nowhere with it because the shame, I am not enough, and I, see, guilt lets you know what you did was wrong. Shame is not just I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Shame kills us because it tells us a story. As storytelling people, shame gets into your brain, gets into your mind, and it, gets, it, it, it messes with the script. It, it tells a narrative about you. When shame is working on you, it's going to get you to tell a narrative about your spouse, about your coworker, about your friend, about your sister, about your brother. And it removes grace. And when you insert your shame into the story that you're telling yourself and whatever it is, it, it, shame kills us by using the wrong script. Grace saves us because it puts us back together. So... God's answer to shame in this passage we have now is a mother. A mother. I really have one thought that I want you to be able to grab onto today, and I want to get your heart ready for it, especially if you're like a John Wayne kind of guy. If you're like a, I don't know, the more traditional you might be, this, what I'm about to say a sentence that might make you struggle, but I... When I'm, I'm like, what is this passage doing in the Bible? Why is the story of a concubine mother named 
pavement that everyone has walked on, whose two sons die, and she says, nah, birds of the air, no, nah, beasts of the field, no, this woman that's doing this, how is, she, why is she in the, why is this story even here? Why does the famine end by the time she's done? What a strange story. Now, it's all been hard up until now. Happy Mother's Day. It's about to get more fun. <laughs> but here's what I need you to know. And, and give me a minute to unpack, but here's what I need you to know. The mother heart of Father God flips the script on shame. I, I would make a case that our most primal problem is shame. In the beginning, when humans sinned, the very first thing was shame. Adam and Eve, they were now ashamed. Shame. Shame on you. Shame on Shame comes. The very first problem with shame. What I need you to understand is that the mother heart of Father God is what flips the script on shame. I believe the reason the stories in the Bible, Rispa flips the script. There's for five straight months, the Bible says her sons are hanging. She takes, she goes and takes the, the sackcloth. The birds of the air try to come and take her sons, and she says, You will not. At night, through, I mean, imagine this woman. She's making her bed outdoors. The only thing more shameful than the exposed bodies of her sons is this mama who won't let go. It's a mama who's holding on. It's a mama that won't move. Come on, woman, just move on. Why can't you just move on? She says, no, no, I hear what you're saying. You want me just to move on? You want the final chapter on the story of my sons to be that my sons were war criminals that have been killed, executed, and forgotten. My sons will not be forgotten. Birds of the air, get away. Beasts of the field, get away. This will not be the end of my story of my sons in Jesus' name. There is a mama here that's going to take this so that these two boys would have been absolutely and utterly forgotten in perpetuity. For all time, they would have been forgotten. And here I am, thousands of years after this happened, getting up and talking about a concubine named Rispa that was more righteous than Saul, the guy that she was concubined, whatever the verb is, whatever to that to him, whatever that was. Here, I'm getting up and preaching about a woman named Rispa that I believe was revealing the mother heart of Father God. Now, I, I do want to say, I, I believe there's something about the longings of the heart of a mother that reveals the true heart of God. And, and I also want to let you know, there, I think we struggle with this. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Talladega Nights. You know, I, I don't want to, please don't go watch it if you haven't already. I am not, your pastor did not, if, you, if someone walks out and says, what I got out of Mother's Day was go watch that. I'm not saying that. But there's this one scene in Talladega Nights where Ricky Bobby, this NASCAR driver, he starts praying. He says, dear Lord, baby Jesus. And his wife is like, honey, he is, he grew up like Jesus. Grew, and he says, I, and this is what he says, I like the Christmas Jesus best. He says, when you say grace, you can pray to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whatever Jesus. But I, this is the Jesus so he starts praying. He says, dear tiny little baby Jesus with golden fleece diapers. And they interrupt him. and say, He says, dear eight pounds, six ounce newborn infant. And there's this scene that's somewhat ridiculous, of course, because he says, I like to think of Jesus like this. And one of his sons says, I like to think of Jesus like a ninja. 
And everyone kind of likes to think of God like they like to think of God. And the Bible says that God made us in his image. But a lot of humans have tried to return the favor and to make God into our image. And there could be a problem when we project on God preferences that we have. And listen, God has revealed himself as a father, but I need you to know that in Isaiah chapter 49, he says, as a nursing mother cannot forget their child, so the Lord will not forget you. In Isaiah chapter 66, I mean, one of the passages that, I don't think I have it on the screen, but on Isaiah 66, it says, I I want you to know this, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And when you see this, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. I know God is Father. What I'm telling you is, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. You do not get the image of God simply with masculinity. There is this way in which femininity helps reveal the heart of God, the nature of God, who God is. There are some ways that when he says, as, as, a, as a mother, as she, as she comforts, as she, she cannot forget her nursing child, the Lord will not forget you. Any of you that have ever nursed a child, you know what it's like. The baby starts to cry. You know it's time to nurse. Your physiology is telling you, go nurse this child. You may say, you know what? I'm really feeling like a Starbucks right now. I think I'm just going to go watch Doctor Strange right now, you know? But your, your body would say, no, you're not. I cannot, like physiologically, a woman would say, it's not in me to forget my child. What God is saying is, there is a way in which the longings of a mother reveal the heart of our God. If, if, if you kind of think like, well, well, all we need is masculinity, that's probably toxic masculinity. And there's, there is such a thing as toxic femininity. There's, of course, the fall has warped femininity and masculinity, what I'm saying to you on a day like today is there is something about God's nature that that Isaiah even says, and when you see it, when you get it, it brings you comfort and you thrive. See, there's still some of you that think God's going to give up on you, but you don't understand just like a nursing mother would never give up on her child. God is not giving up on you. One of the public defenders in our church, he gets calls sometimes late at night from, and I'm going to let you guess which parent it is, from a parent that will call up and, and, and consistently when the, the child is going to have to go to jail, the child's going to be convicted, the child's, and, and we don't know if the justice system is going to do them right. Can anyone want to take a stab at which parent probably is calling the public defender to say, you better give my boy justice? Anyone want to take a guess? I never hear people say, I'm just like a papa bear. But if you've ever been to a soccer game, Anyone ever seen a mama bear at a soccer game with, with six-year-olds? You're like, like the, the poor referees at Little League soccer matches and baseball games and football games. I'm like, I, I know that, you know, men, like, well, men might get in fights. Don't mess with a mama bear. You're toast. Mama bear, some of you guys take out your sackcloth and go to your soccer games. You're like... That's how my mom was. I would pitch. I was, a ba- I was a pitcher, and my mom, would, she would stand right behind the backstop when I was pitching. I mean, I'd, get, I'd be getting ready to go pitch. I hadn't thrown the ball yet. She said, strike! I'm like, mom! I mean, I'm not joking. There was at one point, the umpire, the entire, the entire everybody turned around and said, ma'am, could, could you stand somewhere else? 
Can you at least wait until the pitch is done before you say that? Because you don't, there's, there's something about the, the mother heart of Father God, that's what flips the script on shame. Because the mother heart of God, there's, there, there's something through, the, these filters that we project onto God. I'm, guys, I'm telling you, the problem is not who God is. The problem is who we've tried to create him to be. I want you to worship the true God, not the God that's been filtered through all of our cultural lenses where we have distorted him. The mother heart. The mother heart. When, when, I, was, when I was growing up, my mom, she, she was a respa. I'd, be, I'd come home with a bad grade, and she'd say, oh, look at this. I was bracing myself. She said, oh, this is, that's public school system for you right there. They don't know how to educate a genius. <laughs> Amen. Amen, Mom. Let's go with that one. Let's just go with that. I mean, I'd have a C minus. She's like beating the air, the birds of the air off that, just taking her sackcloth and, and saying, uh-uh. Michael, I, I know. I know it's really going to. And see, there's something in that heart of a mother. And, and I, I think culturally we've reached a place here. I mean, it says for five months, for five months from the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the animals by night. And when David was told what Rispa had done, David was inclined to potentially let the bones of Saul just, they'd been stolen out. It's like, you know what? He kind of, that's what he deserves. He was, he was inclined to maybe not be so merciful or so gracious, perhaps. But when David heard what Rispa had, when David got the reminder of a mother that said in that culture, no, 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 we don't dishonor people like that. We're in a different kind of a kingdom. In the kingdoms of this world, there's all kinds of stories. On this world, there are such a thing as horror stories. But when you come into the kingdom of God, rest assured of this. Our God is writing a story, and he does not write horror stories. He only writes redemption stories. I love this story because here are two guys that are going to be nobodies forever. And I get it. I'm trying, to, I need, I'm trying to give you, bring you up to speed culturally here, exegetically here. But two guys that are going to get the shameful ending. The final chapter of their life is going to be death and destruction and forgottenness, oblivion, nothingness, and disgrace. And there's a mama that gets up, takes out her sackcloth, and says, no. If you ever saw Remember the Titans, you'll remember when this one speech comes out. And he says, I want you to get out there. Don't let them get another yard. They will forever remember the night they met the Titans. I don't know if you remember that. I know this is like movie day, whatever, okay? But it's like this mama gets up and says, I don't care what anyone else intended. They will forever remember how these two boys' story ends. And I'll tell you how it ends because when David hears, David goes, takes their bones. He goes and gets Saul's bones. He gets Saul, the father, Jonathan, the son, and the bones of these guys get buried with the bones of the father and the son. These two guys who are going to end up as nothing instead end up being buried with the father and the son forever. I hope you can see where this sermon's going to end, by the way, because no matter how you started and no matter how shameful your father was or your mother was or you were, because aren't we all the products of our first parents who sinned? 
aren't we all paying the penalty of both what Adam and Eve did? And I would love to blame it on Adam and Eve, but I've already done 10 million more, 10 Google more of my own, right? But the message of scripture is that when he is your God, the end of the story is better than the sum of the parts of your story. As these two guys end up being buried with royalty, where are her sons now? I'll tell you where they are. They're in Israel. They're buried with the royalty. And when you turn to God and Jesus becomes your king and his ways become your ways and the father and the mother heart of God gets a, heart of, a hold of you, when that takes place, when I'm telling, I don't know how your story started. I'll tell you how it ends. You will be buried with royalty. Mike, what, what do you want me to do? What do we do about this sermon? I'll tell you what we do. We, we've got to, if, if, if the, the, the answer to shame is, is the mother heart of God, there's, we've got to flip the script. We, we've got to, we have to tell, we have to tell a better story. There, there's got to be a way that we, we flip the script and, and that, that we flip the script on shame. And we say, no, no, no. What Rispa does, it's the mother heart of Father God that flips the script on shame. We've got to become like this. I was reading the story this week of R.C. Sproul, who was studying in Europe, and, and, he, and he met a woman that was there, and he was talking to her about Jesus, and they were talking about the gospel and the Bible and all this stuff, and, and someone said to him, why are you talking to that woman? And it's not because she was a woman. It was because 30 years earlier, she had assisted the Nazis in the Holocaust, and she was now a pariah. She was now officially canceled. She had certainly tried to live out of that because I, I think she was sorry. I think she was repentant. I think she was whatever. But it's 30 years later, and she is still known for, categorized by, labeled as the sum of her worst sin. See, guilt is what you did. Shame is who you are. I'm watching right now a culture, and I know we, everyone, the, the word cancel culture has certainly been overused, but I, I cannot get past this sermon without recognizing how different Rispa was. Her two sons are being canceled, and she says, I don't care if they are being canceled. I don't care what was on there. You know, I, 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 there's a part of me that's saying this is not the, God, in God's economy, God's economy is an economy of grace. The devil's economy is an economy of disgrace. Shame is disgrace. Grace. The gospel is grace. Grace integrates you. Shame disintegrates you. Disgrace disintegrates. Flips you out into all sorts of ways. 30 years earlier, she had done something evil. And watch, what she did was wicked. It was evil. We must lift our voice for justice. Absolutely. But friends, beware of missing the heart of God, which is loaded with grace in mercy, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Beware of missing it because justice is necessary. But I got to tell you, you and I need more than just justice because if all we get is justice, we're all in trouble in this room because all of us have been the aggressors of injustice and all of us are in need of God's grace and his mercy. And when, when, when he hears them say, don't talk to that woman, she did wicked things 30 years ago, my friends, I need you to understand Jesus is able to do things in people's hearts that undoes who they were 30 years ago. Jesus changes people. 
Mike, what do I do? You, you got to tell a better story. Friends, tell the story the way Rispa would. When you, the next time you're in an in a angry confrontation with someone, I want you to flip the script and tell the story because if shame is in there, I'm telling you, if shame is there, you're going to misremember, you're going to mistell, you're going to mistake, your memories are going to be edited, redacted. All. What? I want you to flip the script and tell a better story. You're with your spouse and you're like, man, marriage is not going like I want it to go right now. Oh, and, and you start hearing things like this. We should have never gotten married in the first place. That, that is how we tell the story with shame. Because whenever I'm thinking, man, I'm, because I've certainly had moments when I'm like, man, I'm not sure my wife and I are compatible. <laughs> Someone is laughing. I'm not sure we're compatible, you know? Like, I have had those thoughts because there are ways that I don't think we're a perfect fit. But when I look back over the story of my marriage and I tell my story with grace, like, like there's times when I'm like, man, I don't know if Ruthie's ever loved me. I, I probably need to flip it. I bet there's times when Ruthie has wondered if I've ever loved her, you know. <laughs> but when you, tell this, when you flip the script and when you tell the better story, you know, Steve Jobs would say, whoever can tell the best stories is the one that's going to change the world. I think it's fascinating that Jesus comes to earth. It says he did not speak without telling stories. <laughs> it's like every innovation someone comes up with right now, it's go read the Bible and you're going to say, oh, Jesus has been doing that for a long time. Tell the better story. I don't know if you've ever seen the play Raisins in the Sun, but it's a story of a family in Harlem. Poor family. The father died, but when he did, he left a little nest egg of like $10,000, and the mom can finally fulfill her dream, and her dream was to have a little house up in like North Jersey. I'm Having lived in Connecticut, I'm not sure why anyone's dream in life would be to live in Jersey, but her dream was to live, have this little house in, in Jersey with, uh, with window boxes and flowers, if you've seen the play. The son of her house, of, of the house, the son, uh, he basically goes to mom and he begs her for the money. He says, well, can you please give me the money? Um, he's never had a break in his life. He's never, I mean, things have never gone good, but he, he wants to get with his friend and he's got this business idea, this plan that they could take this and he can go provide for the family and, and they, can, they could take the $10,000 and turn it into a bunch more. And you can probably already imagine if you haven't seen it, how this ends. The, the, his friend steals the money, leaves town. The, the, the son is devastated. He's broke. He's lost everything. And he comes home beaten and battered and tormented, destroyed. And when he comes home, his sister just, just, just beats him up, just, just beats him down. How, you know, how, how can you be so stupid? You know, how, this was our shot. This was mom's shot. How can you be so, how can you be so stupid? And the mother comes in. The rispa comes in. Mama comes in. She said, I thought I taught you to love him. Love him, she says? There's nothing to love in him. And that's where our world is right now. It's just breaking my heart. Love him. Love them. Love that nationality. Love those kind of people. Love, love those. Love them. There's nothing left to love. And then mama says, there's always something left to love. And if you ain't learned that, you ain't learned nothing. Have you cried for him today? I don't mean for yourself. I don't mean for your family and all that we've lost. Have you cried for him? 
what he's been through, what it's done to him. And I love this. Child, when do you think is the time to love someone the most? When they done good and made things easy for everybody? Well, then you ain't through learning. Because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest. And he can't believe in himself because the world done whipped him so. When you start measuring somebody, measure him right, child. Measure him right. Measure and make sure that you done taking into account what hills and valleys someone's come through before they got to wherever they are. I'm not sure what you would call that. But the Bible calls that grace. The mother heart of Father God flips the script on shame. Because when you need it the most is when you deserve it the least. And it's where the kingdom of heaven shines brighter than anything else in this universe. We cannot compete with Hollywood. We cannot manufacture special effects. I do not know how for, that we're going to string together music that sounds like everything that Kanye or someone else can come up with. What I can tell you this, there is nothing on planet earth that can explain the amazing grace of our almighty God. And this woman is watching her sons be disgraced. And for five straight months, she, how long are you going to do this? As long as it takes. As long as it takes for what? So that everybody knows this is not how the story ends. This is not. See, what I'm trying to tell you is shame is the name of the game. It's the mother heart of Father God that flips the script on shame. But this ends with the ultimate Rispa, whose name is Jesus. See, shame is all about the story that is told. Shame is all about, it's, it's about news. It's, it's bad. Jesus tells the best story. I don't care what you've done. You get Jesus in the story, it changes. I don't care where you've been. You get Jesus in your narrative, it changes. I don't care how, how toxic the past. I don't care how many mistakes. I don't care how dirty. What I'm, I don't know how. He, he takes terrorists and flips the scripts. He takes sinners and flips the script. He takes orphans and flips. He changed Jesus. Jesus. Jesus tells the best story. One of the first sermons I ever remember was from the book of John, a woman caught in the act of adultery. They throw her at Jesus' feet. She's caught in the act. Jesus is teaching. They throw her at Jesus' feet. This woman She's surrounded by men, I'm sure, with rocks in their hands. To because there was a stipulation in the law, the law of Moses, that said if someone's caught in the act of adultery, you stone them on the spot. Now, interestingly, the, the law said you stone the woman and the man. They caught her in the act. The man should have been there, only the woman's before Jesus. It's interesting how selective we are in our interpretation and application of Scripture. People say, just do what the Bible says. Yeah, but be humble enough to recognize that you're reading the Bible through your lenses. They throw her at Jesus' feet. They're trying to catch him. They say, teacher, what do you have to say about that? And I love this story because it's always foolish to argue with an author about the book that they wrote. <laughs> Jesus goes and 
takes out his sackcloth. And the Bible says he doesn't say a word. But he gets down in the ground. And I remember sitting like over in this area of a church service. When I just started following Jesus, in my eyes, I was like, what kind of, I mean, I'd never read this. And the pastor's reading through it. And he begins to write in the ground. And I'm like, what's he writing? What's he writing? He's writing in the ground. And, and as he's writing, one by one, her accusers begin to drop their rocks and leave. And, and the preacher started, he was sort of with conjecture. He says, I think he was writing the names of the people that she had slept with. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was it. You know, he, I, we don't know what he wrote. But we know why he wrote. Because she couldn't get up. So he came down low. And that finger that spun the world into existence took on flesh and reached down into the dirt of our humanity. Because we do deserve judgment. And God is just. But he's also merciful and kind and abounding in mercy and steadfast love. And he comes in there and he takes out his rispa impression and begins to beat off the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And by the time he's done writing, all of her accusers are gone. He says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, Lord, there's none. And then he says, and it's a key word because it's a word that's very associated with shame. Neither do I accuse. And there are some of you that have been so crippled by accusation, and in the name of Jesus, I break the spirit of accusation over you. In the name of Jesus, accusations be canceled. In the name of Jesus, Satan is the accuser, the categorizer of the brothers and sisters. Jesus does not come to accuse. He comes to set you free. He does not leave her there. He gets up. He says, now go and sin no more. He's righteous. He's just. We, he cleans us. He, he takes us just the way we are. He doesn't leave us just the way that we are. He doesn't leave sin unaddressed, to be sure. If there's need for repentance, absolutely repent. But just know this. When you get up after being with Jesus, you are not the same. I'll tell you what I think. That woman got up. That was a woman destined to die. And 2,000 years later, a dude like me is talking about a woman like her. And I wonder how many billions of people have been turned to God through her life. I wonder if she was one of the leaders in the early church that went and turned the world upside down and made no small disturbance everywhere that she went. See, you can shame people into acquiescence and you can shame them off your Twitter feed, but you can only grace people. You can only grace people into eternal transformation and change. Church, I'm calling us. Let's go rispa this world. Let's go rispa people at work. Let's go rispa people in your, in your family. Let's go rispa, let's go rispa you. 
Some of you need to go ahead and just cast off the accusations and, and go ahead and say, you know what? It, it, it might take a little while. It might take a minute. But the king saw what Rispa had done. And the king brought back the bones. And then the famine was ended. And then prayers were answered again. There's some of you that the famine's going to end today. There's some of you the shame ends today. There's some of you that the, the heavens are about to get opened again today because shame is done. Some of you, even before you leave, I want you to say, shame, you're done because of Jesus. Because I'll tell you what happened. Jesus went upon a cross. And when Je yes, you could say, but what about injustice? What about my unrighteousness? What about sin? I'll tell you what happened. Jesus went on the cross just like Rispa went out there. And the only thing more shameful than those boys being hung was this crazy woman that was taking the shame that should have been on them. She brought it on herself. And then the wrath of the king was turned away, and they got buried with royalty. And I'll tell you what happens. When you put your faith in Jesus and you trust his way and his amazing grace, there's something that happens no matter where you've been or how you started. I'll tell you how your story ends. In the end, you get buried with royalty. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this sermon, be sure to click that like button. It helps others to find our other videos. You can also post a comment about your favorite part of the message. Another way to connect is by subscribing to our YouTube channel. I hope your week is wonderful. Live green.